0: Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome in to the Tuesday, September the 4th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, it is officially game week. We are just five days away from the end of a long off season, and we're going to talk about the Dolphins' ever-changing 53-man roster, some potentially fatal coaching decision blows that could derail the Dolphins' playoff hopes, and of course, answer your Twitter questions. But first, I kindly invite all of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter at Winkful NFL, follow the show at LockedOnFins, and check out lockedondolphins.com, the number one blog in the LockedOn network. A piece we're going to talk about. On on the podcast today is up live on LockedOnDolphins.com and of course the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We have tons of news to get to. Let's bring on the Mad Dog. All right, Miami! This Dolphins 53-man roster has taken shape in the most... Unique way I've ever seen it personally as a fan. Tons of changes every single hour, it seems. And we had more of that today on Monday as I record this podcast. But we covered the Luke Falk and Tanner McAvoy claims on yesterday's podcast. But a flurry of other moves have since happened. And one of those moves is the reintroduction of Sam Young. The Dolphins brought him back. He will probably serve as the swing tackle in that game on Sunday, backing up both Jawan James and Laramie Tunzel. Travis Swanson, a center formerly of the Detroit Lions, recently of the New York Jets, was signed or claimed, I should say, from the Jets who cut him. There's a connection there with the Lions coaching staff with a few of the Dolphins' current coaches coming from Detroit, and now they have Swanson back on their side in Miami. Also, safety Marie Smith, who I thought was very impressive, was cut... And by the time you guys hear this podcast, I imagine we'll hear about him being re-signed to the practice squad, but this is the one that really, really irks me. I was begging for him to play last year in place of Nate Allen, and I thought he was terrific again in the preseason. I think this might mean you see Tory McTire as the dime back when the Dolphins go to that, and we're going to get very deep into that topic on the podcast here today. But it sounds like McTire will be the sixth defensive back onto the field, rather than a potentially Maurice Smith and being the fourth safety with Minka Fitzpatrick, TJ McDonald, and Rashad Jones. So we've got a 53-man roster ready to go. Let's go ahead and break that down. That's another Miami Dolphins. And so what I'm going to do on this portion of the podcast is run through each position group and talk about the surprises and what to look for from that group going forward. Not going to preview each single player on the roster. I've done that all summer long. You guys have heard me talk about it, so no sense in repeating the same regurgitated stats on Ryan Tannehill and so forth. Let's go ahead and start with those guys, the quarterbacks. And the Dolphins are one of the most unique teams I've ever seen in this regard, carrying four quarterbacks into the season opener. And the reason they're doing that, I think, is to maintain Luke Falk on the roster or get a crack at him to bring back to the practice squad. They were going to need a camp arm or a scout team arm to run that scout team and be a part of the practice squad. So Luke Falk gets that designation, I think, post-week one. I bet he gets cut. We'll see if Brock Osweiler sticks around. I think David Fills is going to be here all year long. I think Osweiler's the one you have to really keep an eye on. And we'll see how many they activate on Sunday, whether it's two or three. At running back, this is a very, very deep group. I love Kenyon Drake. I love Kalen Balazs. I'm really kind of in between on Frank Gore. I think Sonoris Perry offers you a lot. That group is good with me. No qualms there. Wide receiver, how will it be sorted out come game day? Where does Tanner McAvoy fit into all this nonsense? He is more of a deep threat specialist type of guy, special team excelling type of player in that group in that regard. So I just wonder what it means to Jakeem Grant and Devontae Parker's health going forward. Look at the tight end group. There'll be four guys on the roster. But how many of them will be active come game day? Most likely three. My money's on Gasecki, Gray, and Smythe with AJ Derby serving as that fourth kind of in-between guy that's more of an injury assurance, insurance rather than being a guy they rely on every single week. And another good note about Mike Gusecki's usage, Adam Gase was on the Joe Rose Show on Monday today as I recorded the podcast, and he talked about how he's holding stuff back for Gasecki down in the red zone. He made a great joke when they asked him what his involvement in the game plan will be come Sunday, and Gase said he's probably going to block a lot throwing some more shade at the people that are questioning his calls in the preseason. And he also said that he found himself getting ultra competitive in that Ravens game and that he wanted to start showing the playbook and trying to beat the Ravens, but he was able to check himself and hold it back. So I personally can't wait for Sunday just to see what type of stuff he unveils and if maybe he holds it off until divisional opponents or guys that we have to beat later on in the season in more crucial situations. So keep an eye on that. That should be interesting involving Mike Kosicki and these tight ends. The offensive line... We have known who the starters are going to be for a long, long time, and I wasn't concerned about the depth, but now I kind of am. We'll see what happens with Ted Larson and Sam Young. Like I mentioned, Sam Young coming back to be the swing tackle. If one of those starters goes down, what are we looking at when one of those guys has to go into the game? That's the biggest question mark surrounding that group. The defensive ends, I don't have any qualms or worries about those guys. They are going to be dominant and get after the quarterback. Defensive tackle, we'll see about this spot. Is it the weakest group on the roster with... I guess Akeem Spence, where does he fall into the fray of things? He's the first defensive tackle. I have him as the fourth. Is Vincent Taylor going to play? That's going to be a lot of stuff we have to unpack there. And if the defensive tackle spot isn't the weakest on the roster, it's definitely linebacker. And we'll talk about the usage of linebackers in the next segment. Hopefully keeping five guys in the roster is a positive sign of things to come in regards to personnel usage on that defense and third and long in particular. But that group really kind of worries me. I thought Terrence Garvin would make the team for sure. He did not. He got cut. Stephon Anthony is the fifth linebacker on that roster. And it sounds like Jerome Baker will be the third and other starter next to Kiko Alonso and Rayquan McMillan with Chase Allen filling out that group. At cornerback, we mentioned Tory McTire in the open. He kind of gets the nod here with Marie Smith getting cut and probably being added to the practice squad. I think he's going to be your sixth defensive back that comes onto the field for the first time in a long time. I really like the cornerback group. I also really like the second or the safety group. I just like the secondary in total. I think TJ McDonald could have a better year in year two with Miami. Rashad Jones, we've talked about it all offseason, how much he'll be freed up with the added addition of Mika Fitzpatrick and hopefully McDonald's emergence too. So the roster is set, the 53-man roster, up to date on LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys can check that out. I'm not going to go through and read the roster in its entirety for you guys. You guys can find that list on lockdowndolphins.com, so no need to bore you with that. But for now, this roster is set just five days outside of kickoff weekend. And with kickoff weekend right around the corner comes one of my favorite parts of the year, betting on football games. And you can do that now with our latest sponsor, MyBookie and Every time somebody asks me about advice for betting on games, I always tell them it's not about the team you bet on, it's about where you bet through. And that's why I urge all of my listeners and fans to go to mybookie.ag to play with these guys. Trust me, they are the best bet you'll make this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is very easy to use. Put your money where your mouth is, lay down some cash, and win big today. They have in-game, live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score in each and every game. Join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar using promo code LOCKEDON. That's promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, and do not forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON when creating your account to claim that bonus. My bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. By now, you guys have come to know me as a bit of an optimistic Dolphins fan. I don't like dwelling in the negative and focusing on that stuff and bitching and moaning. But I did author a piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com titled, Three Potentially Disastrous Personnel Decisions. And those are decisions facing the Miami Dolphins. They could go down the same path they've taken the last few years And continue to put themselves behind the eight ball in regards to how they match up in certain situations that have just killed them for too long now. And I'm going to go over those three reasons and talk about why the Dolphins have to get them corrected. They have to get them corrected this year because if they don't, some of this national narrative that has been developing around this team becomes fact. And then we all look stupid for being so vehement against them. So hopefully these three things will go in the Dolphins' direction. Number one, the dime defense. And I talked about it with Maurice Smith and Tory McTire and what that move could mean, what five linebackers could mean. I posted it on Twitter. I put it in the column. There is a GIF of GIF a GIF? of Kiko Alonso getting smoked by Jared Cook. And it's not because Kiko Alonso wasn't didn't look good on the play. I mean, I thought his feet actually looked pretty good. He looked like he changed directions pretty good and he was able to keep up with a stutter and go move that that Jared Cook put on him, but it's the personnel that you have on the field that is costing you these yards, these big plays, this third and nine conversion, and this defense was the worst on third and long last season because of stuff like this, because you're running out. Two linebackers against 11 personnel on 3rd and 9. It was a Y-ISO play. They are not running the damn football. You don't need guys that can come up and defend the run. Kiko Alonso is best going forward, making his plays down around the line of scrimmage and playing the run. So why would you keep him on the field for a passing down? I am very worried it's going to be the case going into the season, but if they do it again, they're going to find trouble because you can bring out a defensive back and really mitigate that issue. We talked all offseason long about how Minka Fitzpatrick is the ultimate eraser in that facet. Let him do it, damn it. Get the dime defense on the field. Stop giving up third and long conversions, Mr. Burke. Please, I implore you. Number two, Kenyon Drake is Miami's best back and it's not even fucking close. It's not close whatsoever. And one of the reasons I get so discouraged by all the stuff I see in the national media and what they are able to do or what they're capable of in terms of their research and quality opinions is that they think that Frank Gore is somehow in this timeshare with Kenyon Drake when the competition shouldn't even be close. And I know Adam Gaze loves Frank Gore. I know he loves his professional approach. I know he loves what he brings to the locker room. But let's realize what he is at this point. A 35 year old that has logged over 3,500 career touches, has not averaged more than 3.9 yards per carry since 2014. Meanwhile, you have Kenyon Drake, this explosive 24-year-old that has big plays every single game he plays in his last eight games. He is a dynamic, game-changing type of talent that could be a game-changer for you rather than going to these average two to three-yard carries, getting yourself into manageable third downs with Frank Gore. No, put the player on the field that can break the game open, that can give you first down runs, that can be explosive in the passing game, and that is Kenyon Drake, bar none, point blank. Because you look back at what Adam Gase has done throughout his tenure at the running back spot, and it's been kind of an enigma. You have Arian Foster getting 87% of the reps on opening day back in that 2016 game up in Seattle. And then he goes down, and you're trying to search for his replacement after that, and they find Jay Ajayi, and he becomes the bell cow workhorse back that gets 80% of the running back snaps. They trade him off on Halloween last year. It goes back to the timeshare between Drake and Damian Williams. But once Williams gets hurt, Drake comes in and takes 91 carries over a five-game stretch, and he exceeds 90% or more of the team's running back snaps in three out of those five games. So he became the horse. Feed that horse. He's young. He's fresh. He can handle it. Give him the ball. Do not worry about getting Frank Gore a bunch of touches because it just doesn't have to happen that way. And the number three instantly reinstalling Devontae Parker into the starting lineup when he returns from that injury. I have talked about it all offseason. I do not believe in this guy. It's. I don't think it's necessarily personal with me. I just don't trust him what he is off the field, the way he prepares. And you can't rely on the guy to be available every single Sunday whereas I think with Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson, these are two hungry guys that want to be out there. They want to make an impact on the game. They want to work hard every single day, not just on Sundays. And you paid Albert Wilson more money than he was probably worth because he fits in your offense so good. Do not take him out of that spot. Do not lessen your impact in the running game and the screen game because both those guys will and Grant are willing to block. They're willing to get out on the edge and make plays for other guys. And they both stress the defense so severely with that speed. You can eat up the underneath game in the passing game, but it also opens up the running game. So keep those guys on the field. Put Devontae Parker on the back end of the rotation because he has to earn his way back into this. You go back to this player that has done nothing to earn that spot. And that permeates a message to the rest of the locker room negatively that if you work hard, you might not always be rewarded. Whereas a guy with a higher draft status could be rewarded ahead of you just because he was picked higher in the draft. So that's the end of the rant. They can easily fix those issues by just doing things differently. And we talk about how Adam Gaze was a 37-year-old head coach when he got hired. Yeah, there are growing pains just like there are for every rookie in the NFL, actual players. We talk about how you have to not make the same mistakes twice. And Adam Gaze has a chance to not make those same mistakes twice along with Matt Burke in making those same mistakes over and over again. And if they do make those same mistakes again, then they actually will be on the hot seat like people are talking about this season, which really I don't think they are. But if those same problems persist, that's where they'll find themselves. And you guys can check out that piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now. Probably one of the more negative approaches to a piece I have written. But even in doing so, I think I presented problems and offered solutions. So hopefully you guys feel the same way on that piece. All right, we've got a packed full Twitter mailbag for you guys. We'll get to those next on the Locked on Dolphins podcast at Lincoln NFL at Locked on fins rolling into the third and final segment of the day, and our latest Twitter mailbag is so packed full of questions from you guys. I'm probably going to break it up into two parts and answer your questions about the Tennessee Titans on tomorrow's podcast. We'll get to the rest here today, and that starts with our first question from a huge name. We're just going to call him at Travis Bunk because you've got way too many hashtags in that title, my man, and this is a great question. The Dolphins are in the Super Bowl, down by three. You're about to shit your pants, but Ryan Tannehill is about to throw a game-winning touchdown pass to Gasecki. How do you know that? Do you shit yourself and watch our savior win the game or go to the bathroom and miss it? I don't care if I'm wearing diapers or the most expensive pair of pants I own. I am going to shit all over those pants and watch our boys hoist that Lombardi Trophy because I've been waiting for that my entire life. Easy question there, Travis, but I do appreciate it. Next one comes from Miami Dolphins UK. At Miami Dolphins UK, how many wins will the Dolphins get this year? 10-6, and been on that train since February, not jumping off of it. Next question comes from Yvonne at iSweetheart. Which game do you think will be most challenging for our defense, and which game do you think our defense will dominate the most? I think the easy answer for which one will be the most challenging is like the Patriots or the Packers because they have the two greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, in my opinion. But I'm going to go with the Texans just because the Dolphins cannot handle running quarterbacks and it's been that way for a long time. And if they don't make the changes that I talked about in the previous segment, it's going to be the same case again. As far as which team they can dominate the most... It's gotta be the Buffalo Bills because they just do not have a quarterback capable of starting in the league right now. Josh Allen might get there. He's not there yet. And their offensive line is terrible, and they have no answer for Robert Quinn and Cameron Wake. So Texans most challenging, Bills the most easy. Next question comes from you are a code dab. And he's at Justin JP Precise. How do you think the Dolphins use Tanner McAvoy? Any chance he gets matched up on Gronk in defensive sets or just offense and special teams? I don't know about him playing defense at all, so I can't answer you that. But as far as what he's on offense, I think he's a special teamer and a just depth insurance type of guy behind what we have on the roster right now. Nothing more than that. Next question comes from Corey Ashburn, longtime friend of the podcast. What's going on, Corey? He is at hey with two Ys, 13. What's the biggest reasoning behind the McAvoy signing when we had Ford and Alusu? Have you watched any film on him? I haven't watched film yet. I don't think he's important enough to do that. I mean, that sounds bad as a, as a host of a podcast and a Dolphins quote unquote expert, but I saw him in Seattle enough to know what he is. He's a good gunner, a good guy on kickoff team, and he can get behind the defense with a play action game or sneak behind them because he has a little bit of and this is so such a white guy thing to say. He has that sneaky speed that he can do that with. I would have preferred Isaiah Ford or Francis Owusu, but here we are, man. I don't know why that was the case. Obviously, they found something in practice they did not like. A couple more questions here from Miami Dolphins UK at Miami Dolphins UK. He asked, what was your first memory of being a Dolphins fan? It was actually that 1994 season opener when Dan Reno came back from the Achilles injury and beat Drew Bledsoe. That was on my TV locally, and I just remember jumping up and down, being thrilled in my starter Miami Dolphins throwback jacket that was way too big on me. And he also asked, which away games are you going to this season? I'm not going to any away games, but I will be there for the home games against the Bills and Patriots. Next question comes from Samuel O.M. He is at F-S-A-M Vice. Why are we still carrying four quarterbacks on the roster you would think the roster spot could be used more wisely on a DB. I totally agree. They're just doing it to get Luke Falk onto the roster, to get his intel on the Tennessee Titans, but also to serve as a practice squad scout team quarterback. And the only way they can do that is to put him on the active roster and then deactivate him or cut him after week one and re-sign him to the practice squad, which I hope they do that and bring back Maurice Smith because I want to see Maurice Smith develop on this team Next question comes from James Burnett at James Burnett 11. Who do you think will have the most touchdowns this year? I'm going with Gasicki. That's not a bad pick. I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities down in the red zone, but I'm going to I'm going to go with Kenyon Drake because I think he's going to run a bunch and catch a few as well. So I'll go with him, Kenny Stills, and Mike Gasicki kind of, coming in second and third there. Next question comes from Poldy Anslinger, at Poldy Anslinger. Will they keep four quarterbacks for a longer period of time, or will they cut one, maybe even Falk, and try and stash him on the practice squad? Yeah, I I just talked about that with the other question, but yeah, I think they will, Poldy. I think that he is long for the practice squad, and I hope they can develop him here because he really has a good cerebral approach to the game. He's a smart quarterback, and with his timing, touch, and anticipation, he could actually function in this offense once he gets it mastered. He's not... He doesn't have the big enough arm or the good enough pocket mobility to move around and make things happen where he can come in and excel off script. But if you get him playing on script, which is what you want for a backup quarterback, a guy that can play the plays the way they're called and stay on schedule, he can do that in a couple of years. I don't think he's there yet, though. Next question comes from Red Garcia, at Red underscore Garcia. One player that can, quote, unquote, overthrow the starter at the position. I think Vincent Taylor should be getting a crack at the starting lineup anytime soon now. And I think that will happen sooner rather than later. Next question is from Mark McCain at mmac74. Pro Bowlers for the Dolphins. I'm going with Sitton, Drake, Wake, Jones, and Minka. That's a lot of Pro Bowlers, which if they're a playoff team, you hope that's the case. I do think Ryan Tannehill gets there this year as like an alternate, one of the guys that gets in because of the Super Bowl quarterback backing out or Tom Brady backing out or whoever it is will back out and get Ryan Tannehill in. And while I think there are three guys in the secondary that could earn that distinction, it'll probably just be one of them. And Rashad Jones is the most popular. So I'll go with him over Minka and and Howard, although I think all three will play at that level. Same thing with Kenyon Drake. There's going to be a bunch of running backs that have a higher reputation than him. I think he'll have to really ball out to get that distinction there. So I'll go with Tannehill and Rashad Jones and Cameron Wake for that spot. Last question here, and I have a lot more questions to get to, guys. I'm going to do it on tomorrow's podcast. This last one comes from a sports trooper at Troop Sports. Where do you set the bar at to consider this a successful season for Miami? I think if they win, I I think they got to go over 500. I know that the national perception is that they're going to be really bad picking the top five of the draft. So you would think that winning six, seven, eight games would be good. But I think there's a lot of talent on this roster. I think Adam Gase has constructed it exactly how he wants to, built it around Ryan Tannehill. And because of that, they're going to have to show a lot on offense to give you excitement going into next year. And having that success with the quarterback already in place and that could do a lot for the hopes and expectations for 2019 and going forward. So a winning season to me would be a success. All right, guys, we are running short on time. So the rest of the week will be dedicated to looking at the Titans game. I'll have injury updates, practice reports, everything you need to know to get you ready for game day, including more Twitter questions. We had tons of submissions today. I promise I'm not forgetting you guys. I'm just pushing them back to tomorrow or show. But as for today, I have to get out of here. So as always, I kindly invite each and every one of you guys to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.